and welcome to this edition of the Sports Info Solutions Baseball Podcast. I'm Mark Simon. We hope that you're safe and healthy wherever you are and that this podcast can serve as a respite for you from dealing with all things related to coronavirus. Defense and analytics are two of the show's most frequent themes, and today we're joined by someone to talk about those in another sport, the NBA. Washington Wizards assistant coach Dean Oliver. Dean is one of the fathers of modern basketball analysis and has previously worked for the Supersonics, Nuggets, and Kings, as well as ESPN and the sports tools engineering firm, True Media. His book, Basketball on Paper, is considered a must-read in NBA circles. True story, I interviewed Dean once before on my college radio talk show about 25 years ago. Where are you talking to us from and how are you doing? I am in Washington, D.C. I've been uh, here, obviously, uh, for the season. We didn't really go anywhere, but uh, we moved down here. And uh, we moved into a very small apartment it's because D.C. is expensive and everything. But uh, it's my wife and I in a small place. Um, not a lot of room to get out of each other's way, especially in an area where there's a lot of people uh, all over the place. But uh, we're being good citizens and staying healthy and keeping other people healthy. And what, uh, what's the most interesting thing you've done since the coronavirus uh, pandemic began? Frankly, I've actually I've done a lot of interesting things. There's... There's a, lot of, uh, there's a lot of work fundamentally about how teammates interact that I've done outside of basketball that has to do with how you divide credit among people on a team, and I've expanded that. That's a, that's a very theoretical thing that I personally like, um, but for kind of getting out and getting around, um, we've tried to take some days in the afternoon, work days off, to get out and go to Great Falls, for instance, or go to... Uh, a couple of hidden places out here in D.C. that most people don't know about. You've got to get out and get your mind settled somehow. Dean, I'm anticipating about a five-minute answer to this question. How much has basketball analytics changed in those 25 years? It's changed a lot, yeah. The, uh, what started back then was a lot of rule of thumb stuff. We had some very basic box score information. Now we have play-by-play. We have player tracking data. So what it's allowing us to do is fill in a lot more of the why. So we could do some things back then for what made a team good on offense and defense. We could do some basic things on what made players good, but we couldn't tell you anything about how. We couldn't tell you anything about whether they were good in the pick and roll. We couldn't tell you whether back in those days it was more iso ball, but uh, we couldn't tell you how good anyone was at that. We couldn't tell you really even where their shots were coming from. Um, it was eyeball stuff. And now the data to do all of that and to evaluate the defense. Okay, we've got some crude measurements of how good a, some guy is, and we don't know exactly why. And, and that is getting filled in a lot better now, just uh, the immense improvement in data. And I would say there's, there's a lot more brains doing this now than just mine. What was it like when, uh, when you were first starting out as kind of a, a lone wolf in this? Oh, it was exciting. I, I think it, and it, it was exciting then for the same reason it, it is now. There are times where you know more than everybody else. There are times where you know something that no one else knows. Um, and I think back then there were, there were a lot of things. And that's, that's what I was writing for a journal of basketball studies back then. And just things that I knew, taking things from statistics and applying them to basketball, the risky strategies versus the safe strategies and those kind of things. Those were great rules of thumb. They were very interesting. Today, those pieces of knowledge are 
much more detailed, much more nuanced, those kind of things. But doing doing this for the sake of, of knowledge and feeling like you have an advantage, that's that's kind of the competition that I enjoy, for sure. It's a general understanding of the games we love. One of the, the things that I imagine is much different now versus then, just to kind of round this out, uh, is the technology available. What kind of technology did you have available 25 years ago compared to what you got now? We had my handwritten notebooks. It wasn't, uh, we could watch games and such like that. There, were, there just wasn't a lot. I uh, actually in the 80s was collecting uh, box scores. Um, some of the USA Today box scores were better than what you could find in the newspaper. And so I collected a number of those. So I had a little, I had some history to work with for sure back in the 90s. But a lot of my data still was coming from season-level stats at that point. Uh, box score data was around that time, and you could do more with it. Yeah, that's the technology back then was was still very crude. All right. So getting to the things that that we kind of focus on uh, as a company. Uh, and that you focus on certainly in your coaching, uh, what kind of developments have there been with regards to evaluating difference from a more specific uh, perspective than just understanding the hows and the whys? Yeah, so defense, I, I think we've understood it more as a system now. And I think even in, in baseball, it's not, it's not an individual thing. And the pitcher-hitter uh, relationship is very one-on-one, but in uh, a lot of things out in the field in baseball and then in basketball, it's very much there's a lot of team defense. So it's not only data. So we have better data. We have better data on, on whether you can defend your guy. We certainly have that. But understanding the roles and the responsibility. In baseball, you have a very clear position of the field that you are responsible for. Basketball is not that clear. Um, yeah, we play a zone uh, sometimes, but not very often, and that gives you some field of responsibility. So effectively a model of how defenders actually have to defend an area and their man, uh, man ball basket kind of classic basketball stuff. And we can do a lot better job of assigning how much is associated with man versus ball versus basket. And that changes certainly over the course of possession, um, but you can do a lot more of that. What are the parallels between tracking defense in basketball and in baseball? You, you talked about some of the differences. Are there any uh, similarities that we can draw upon? I think there is, a, there is obviously a strong coordination in, in defense in both, in both sports. In, in baseball, it's more obvious. I mean, obviously, when an outfielder go gets the ball and they've got to throw it into a cutoff man, and the cutoff man has to decide, make a decision on what they're going to do. Basketball's got effectively that kind of communication that you have to make too. Um, in a pick and roll, like, okay, whether you've got your guy or the other guy's got to take him maybe until you get back to him. Those are the kind of parallel things you, you can think about. Certainly with regard to who is responsible for kind of an area in baseball, that is not as close as what we have in basketball unless you are playing zone. And there are definitely times where uh, I've had to look at zones kind of from that perspective. And I've thought about it. I'm like, okay, who is really responsible for this general area? And how big is that area? Center fielder generally has more responsibility and a center who's taking care of the paint 
tends to have a, a larger realm to take care of as well. So do you have like, and I don't want to get necessarily too proprietary here, but uh, do you have like a stat that assesses defensive value taking into account all the things that you're, you're talking about here? I do have it. Yeah, I have a stat um, and it's, I mean, then I just call it defensive net points. So within basketball, they have a number of adjusted plus minus methods. Uh, there's RPM at ESPN. There's various versions of that kind of methodology out there and their defense version of it is effectively what I do. Um, but I do it in a, in a very different way. Um, they're on the same scale though. I mean, best defensive players are at like plus three or four and the worst ones are minus two. And this is per 48 minutes or so. So they, they will say that it accounts for everything in the game of basketball um, because theirs does it very inferentially and it, so it doesn't tell you explicitly what it's accounting for, but it does account, I guess, effectively for everything, but it's noisy. Mine ex- tries to explicitly account for everything that happens, whether you're defending a pick and roll well, whether you're forcing turnovers, whether you're contesting shots, whether you're taking away the good shot when someone else has to take a bad shot. With uh, football, one of the things that our guys like to talk about is the man versus zone, and some guys are better uh, defenders in man, some guys are better defenders in zone. Do you, do you find similar type things uh, on the basketball side uh, with regards to the man zone data that you look at? Uh, not so much. I mean, zone is still so infrequent in the NBA mm-hmm. uh, that uh, it's not really worth doing that. Everybody has to play man defense in the NBA. I think the teams that used zone the most didn't even use a 10% of their possessions this year. So it's not worth really looking at it that way. Is it possible to evaluate who's best at getting hands in the face of a shooter, uh, closing it out on a shooter, that sort of thing? Is that something that, that you kind of work with? <sighs> yes work and no. You can kind of say who's, who has good results at it one year or the next. We don't, the player tracking data doesn't actually keep track of hand position, arm position. So you can do some things regarding contests and the, the data is very, very noisy at this point there. It's, it's a little bit hard to tell who is consistently good at this and for what reasons I've certainly have done a lot of video review with this. And I believe I understand some of those reasons, but I will say, first of all, I'm not going to give that away. And second of all, <laughs> I, even though I think it's good enough not to give away, I don't think it's good enough. The, uh, it sounds like there are parallels, though, shocking parallels with baseball, because there's a lot of things where we say that, where we can, we can say that it's somewhat, it's like mildly descriptive, but not necessarily descriptive enough or predictive to be able to tell you that much. Is there any value to things, I see college coaches charting this all the time, to deflections? Yeah, um, deflections, the one thing that deflections do that, say, is not in the player tracking data is is they are indicating something about your hand position. Now you can get some inference of it from the player tracking data and the ball um, getting moved out of place and things like that. But sometimes I, the, the deflections that I think are tracked by the league are a little bit better. And they, they give you some sense of some of the things that I have heard over the course of my playing career, coaching career, uh, everything that using your hands, it's a big deal when you're, uh, when you're a defender. Like how you use them really does force a defender to think about what they're going to do. And if you can get a defender thinking, they're not going to be playing as smoothly. So 
Uh, deflections are definitely one of those ways to do it, even though it's not as frequent um, as contesting shots. I, I think it's useful. Are there other things that are recognizable to the eye like that, like deflections, like contesting a shot that, uh, that either A, people should be like looking at when they watch a game, or B, uh, that you wish were tracked better than they currently are? Uh, so the, let me handle the second part first. We're at a stage where there's a lot that can still be measured. I, I think some of the arm position, hand position stuff, this would be nice, but I think fundamentally from a defensive perspective, there's still a lot of theory that has to go into how we use all of these pieces of data. Um, you don't have to have the theory. You can just crank away with a machine learning algorithm, put all of this stuff in it and see what it says. I prefer not to work that way, but I definitely do work that way. Uh, so I think it's, there's not as it's in my mind, it's not so much about getting extra data. It's, it's more about having to a good idea for how you're going. So what was the first part of that question? Are there things that people should be watching in games like deflections or closing out on a shooter that they should be paying particular attention to that maybe kind of might slip past them? So uh, what I tell people in general about defense is uh, don't watch the ball as much. You can actually see a lot of what's going on with the ball by looking at what everybody else is doing. Uh, the defense looking at what's going on off the ball, uh, I think, is is useful. Is that something that's necessarily measured? Um, as I say, I think there are some things you could potentially measure. There are elements of spacing and things like that. But um, in general, I think digesting it with your eyes is what you need to do before you even come up with a metric for if you have a great metric, but you can't translate it into something that we all kind of see and understand, it's not going to have that much use. What is the role of uh, someone like yourself on the bench during a game? Because I think this is something that baseball is starting to get into with the quality control coaches uh, that now exist uh, that are essentially advisors to the manager uh, on things regarding uh, run expectancy or third time through the order or things of that that. Uh, right. What uh, what does a coach like you uh, play a role in when you're uh, during uh, during the course of a game? There are a variety of roles for for players on the bench, behind the bench. I am behind the bench. Uh, I what I feel like a lot of my responsibility is during the game is to point out things that I think are important um, that may be changing from what we started the game with. Uh, certain plans like that. Usually, we're all on the same page with that. I sit down by more of the players that I can talk to. Um, I will try to talk to them when they're things like that. Um, and then I do chart uh, a number of things that don't come in with the stats over the course of the game. Those are not as useful usually in the midst of the game, but at halftime, every, uh, I would say once every three or five games, there's something that I see that allows us to refine what comes in at halftime in a better way. And that's, it's just things probably related to game plan in terms of what we're trying to take away or uh, things that we would prefer to, we would like to give up. Now you played, you played uh, division three basketball um, and you have all the experience that you have with the various organizations that you've been with now with the wizards. Uh, so I think you come with some credibility uh, when you're talking to someone like Scott Brooks or, or when you're talking to the, the head coach of the team, what is coach uh, head coach, coach of your state, uh, stature back and forth uh, like over the course of a game or over the course of the season? 
over the game, it's very hard to have a lot of back and forth. He's front of the bench. Um, it's mainly during at halftime that I can do it. And, and halftime is really short. We basically have five minutes to, to figure it out, five minutes to talk to the players, and then we're back on the floor, and it's really not that much. So it's more preparation. It is a lot of preparation. And I can tell you that a lot of it is it's working with the coaching staff to make sure that I understand the questions that they find valuable and vice versa, that they understand some of the questions that I'm trying to answer um, and how I think they're valuable. And so it is, it's a meeting of the minds regarding what we're trying to do. A conversation really should have contributions from both sides. And that's what I make sure of. Um, I think certainly at the start of this year, when I came on board, I was much more in the listening spot. I was, I wanted to make sure I heard them first um, before they were hearing too much of my, my voice. That sounds like it should be advice for anyone that wants to work uh, in analytics or with a coaching staff uh, in general. Everything that you just said in that answer, uh, knowing the questions that they're going to be asking you uh, is such an important part of the job. I, I think it's also just kind of working with people you respect. If you're working with good people, um, they, they bring good ideas and they bring things that you should definitely listen to, but things that should ring true to you and that you can find ways to support. So I think it's just about working with good people. So 25 years ago, when I talked to you, you talked about how the coach uh, has a greater influence on defense than on offense. Uh, do you still feel that that, that holds up uh, as far as coaches uh, in the NBA in your experience goes? Yep, I, I still that <laughs> I, I think there's, uh, on offense, they're def I, I think I appreciate more some of the contributions on the offensive side, being around different coaches, um, being around George Carl in particular for many years in Denver and seeing how he managed players. It may not be the X's and O's as much as matching what he knew to what they did well. So I appreciate the offense, um, whether you call it tactics or management, uh, more than I did 25 years ago, but yeah, I still do think that there's a lot of decisions that get made on the defensive side by a coach that are very important. Two more questions for Dean. Um, so this one I ask essentially on behalf of a college basketball coach that I know, because I, I want to get your perspective on where everything stands with it. Where does the coaching world currently stand on the idea of coaches versus analytics of fouling up by three in the final seconds, which I think is, is a fun and hot topic uh, in the sport. I think it's still actually mixed. Um, you know, it, it is a topic that does come up uh, for sure. I believe that coaches still have reason to go either way. It's not, and I did this study um, actually when I was at ESPN, when we were at ESPN actually looking at whether there is a big difference between the two. And the difference between the two in terms of ultimately winning or not is not very big. Um, one of the big reasons that fouling is not as successful a strategy as you would think is because uh, there, were, there were cases where guys tried to foul. Um, they put their hands up and they're like, oh, yeah, I got the foul. And the ref didn't call it. And then that gave a wide open three point shot or, or even one time I saw where they fouled the guy while shooting the three point shot because they like, they were so flustered by not getting a foul when they wanted it. I think do what you're most comfortable with, with what your players are most comfortable with. 
because it's not it's not clear. It's my favorite. It's one of my favorite topics uh, in basketball from a practical application of the the statistics and what you were just talking about with the studies uh, compared to. Uh, the coaching side of things. So uh, thank you for uh, answering that one. All right. So last, last one for you. What do you wish uh, could be evaluated uh, that isn't yet? Give us uh, some view of the future here of uh, basketball analytics. You know, um, players ability to learn, um, be diligent. I think in general, we've always had, and I phrased it probably the wrong way there too. It's how, how we do it. Because even with teachers outside of the sporting sports world, how do we measure how well we teach and how well kids learn? And it's, it's true with players as well. Uh, this, I think there are different styles in which players learn and different styles in which coaches teach. And that matching process for how you do it right so that you can communicate, um, knowing that in advance when you don't know these players coming out of college, you don't know – too much. You can talk to their coaches. You may know their coaches. You may know their styles, and that narrows it down a little bit. But I think I know when I when I have done a lot of personnel stuff, and uh, I was trying, like, how do we know this stuff? And then even now on the coaching side, you you try to teach fairly uniformly because you don't have players for more than a couple hours a day. But you can't. And how do you know exactly what their learning style is? How do we know what the best way is to communicate this so that, that the best habits get instilled in them? That is hard, um, but I think it's measurable. I think we can, we effectively are doing experiments on that on a regular basis. We just need to, to keep better logs of it, I guess you say. So that's, that's good that you brought that up. The Cincinnati Reds, I know, are doing uh, something with that. With Kyle Boddy, who was, who was brought in, uh, he was, he's someone who's big in the uh, mechanics of baseball uh, community. Uh, he was brought in, and he has informed all of their minor league instructors, like, You're, we're going to be videotaping you in action because we want to we wanna get a sense of things. So measuring coaches uh, would be an interesting kind of a, a, different, uh, a different way to, to go. Uh, certainly. Uh, and I, I, I actually, I, I do want to ask one other thing. What advice do you have for people that are of the younger uh, sort that are interested in getting into this sort of thing uh, at this point? Understand your strengths. Um, definitely try to improve upon the weaknesses that can help you on the analytics side. If you know basketball really well and you're solid at math, be better at both. But definitely know that it, it can be hard to get into this field. Harder now than it was 10, 15 years ago when everybody was looking for how do you get an analytics guy? Now you got to know, you got to know how to program. You got to know how, how to do stats and stuff. But I think you also need to know basketball. I, I don't emphasize this enough. Knowing basketball from a coach's perspective is how you really get to know basketball. Um, for the people who are great programmers, but don't know basketball at that level, I think you can miss out on a lot. Good advice from Dean Oliver, a uh, pioneer in the field of basketball analytics. Dean, thanks for taking the time to join us. Good to see you again, Mark. And this wraps up this edition of the Sports Info Solutions Baseball Podcast. For Dean Oliver and our producer, Justin Stein, I'm Mark Simon. Thanks for tuning in. Check out our new baseball book, The Fielding Bible, Volume 5. This book gives a comprehensive look at our new and improved defensive run save stat. It features essays on all 30 teams, research and studies on important topics, and stats and analysis you can't find anywhere else. 
That's Fielding Bible, Volume 5. Available at actasports.com. That's A-C-T-A sports.com. Or wherever you buy your books online. Thank you for tuning in to the SIS Baseball Podcast. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. If you have any questions, email the show at mark at sportsinfosolutions.com or tweet us at sportsinfo underscore SIS.